0: You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkinginGrace.org/media. It's good to see you. If you would please join with me in turning to turn into Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and tonight we have come to verse 33, and we read to verse 37. Our Lord said this, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good. And the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Let's ask our Lord's blessing in this time of preaching. Lord, what we have just sung is what we desire that we would see your Son with clarity tonight through the proclamation of the Holy Scriptures in a way that lost men and women, young people, would trust in Him for life, and that we would see Him in a way that your sheep, your people would be fed tonight. Your Son has made us alive, and now we live our lives out of His sufficiency. Your Word comes to us in power because of our union with Him. We have your Spirit because of our union with Him. And so we ask that even tonight your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, feeding your people with your Holy Word, which is food for our souls. We love you, Lord. We thank you that you loved us first. That is love. Not that we've loved you, but that you loved us. And gave your only Son that we might have life in Him. That is love. And so, Lord work in a way tonight that when we leave here, we will have feasted on your Son and be glad in our hearts for all of your grace and mercy and kindness to us. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let it register with us tonight that what might be described as the strongest warning in all of Scripture is a warning about words. Our Lord has just warned of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, the unpardonable sin. And that sin is a sin of speech. Right away, if there was no other lesson here, we are made to see the importance of words. As we said this morning, as we'll see again tonight, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not a sin like magic. It's not that you've uttered some magic words That you can't take back. Words matter because they have a source. We'll see tonight the source is the heart. Out of the abundance of what fills our hearts come the words that leave our mouths. Words matter because they have a source. Those words we speak say something about our hearts. Words also matter because they have a judge. Verse 36, our Lord says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Words matter because they have a source. Words matter because they have a judge. Our words are evidence of who we are. Now we know some of our words are more carefully considered than others. I mean, what we say as a whole, if you look at our life as a whole, what we say tells the truth about us. This is why our Lord is able to say in verse 37, for by your words you'll be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Your words tell the truth about you when you consider your life as a whole. But we've all known what it is to speak words that reflect weakness on our part, momentary acts of sin not really telling the truth about our belief system they just the words left our mouths in moments of frustration selfishness but if you take the life as a whole your words are evidence of who you are and our Lord drives that point home in these verses Jesus addresses his antagonists in very personal terms verse 34 you brood of vipers. I mean, he speaks right to them, challenges challenges them on a personal level, calls upon them to do three things. And that's what we think about tonight. Three messages delivered to a people who will be justified or condemned by their words. He speaks to them, but, but what he says applies to us. Three messages delivered to a people who will be justified or condemned by their words. The first message He gives to them is found in verse 33. He says to them, you must identify what is plain to see. Identify what is plain to see. He says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. of a mini parable, just a saying, a wisdom saying, as it were, that amounts to the fact that the fruit is never different than the nature of the tree. If a tree is good, the fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, the fruit is bad. He says, make the tree good or make the tree bad. If you want good fruit, do what's necessary to make a tree good. He doesn't mention the specifics, but you can assume things like cultivation, pruning, fertilization. If you want good fruit, make the tree good. And if you do, you'll have good fruit. If you don't do that, you'll have bad fruit because the fruit reflects the condition of the tree. The analogy is clear, not difficult, not complicated. The fruit matches the tree. The question in this context is, how does our Lord mean for that saying to be applied? How do you apply this? Some have understood the trees to be the Pharisees. This is how John Calvin understood it. What our Lord would be saying to them is, you must declare yourself. You must be honest with yourself. Stop with the masquerading. Stop with the attempt to present yourselves as righteous men who are honest seekers for the truth. Because the fact of the matter is you have reached a conclusion about me that is contrary to the evidence. You don't care about the evidence. Because if you cared about the evidence, you would have repented. So can you be honest about the fruit of your own life? When you are dishonest with evidence, that's not good fruit. And if the fruit is bad, the tree is bad. So will you make yourselves good or will you make yourselves bad? And in their case, to make themselves good would mean repentance. Will you repent? Will you change your ways? Will you be honest with the evidence? And if you will, if you'll be honest with the evidence, then your confession will match what is really true. You will confess that the Son of Man is the Son of God. You will confess that I am the Messiah. Can you be honest about yourself? John Calvin said this, "...wishing to remove this mask, Christ desires them to be either good or bad." Or in other words, declares that nothing is more inconsistent with honesty than hypocrisy. And that it is in vain for men to boast of pretensions to righteousness who are not sincere and upright, close quote. You want to pretend you're righteous men, seeking after the truth, but you're not dealing honestly with the evidence. So can you tell the truth about yourself? That's one way to understand the application of the wisdom saying. I think there's a better way to understand it, and that is to understand the saying as applying to the Lord Jesus himself. If it is understood that good trees produce good fruit and bad trees produce bad fruit, then how can you conclude that Jesus is an emissary of Satan? Because no one would say that the fruit on display in his life and ministry is evil. If you can be honest about the fruit, then you'll recognize the nature of the tree. You have said that what I do in casting out demons is explained by the devil. You have taken the work of the Holy Spirit and you have assigned it to Satan. But does the fruit match the charge when demoniacs are set free, when lame people are healed, When blind people receive their sight, when sick children are made well, when dead children are raised and restored to their parents, when people hungry for the truth are fed with truth, and when mercy is on display, that those same people are fed physically as well with bread miraculously multiplied. Is that the fruit of evil? Is that bad fruit? And if the fruit is good, then isn't the conclusion about Jesus inescapable? If the fruit is good, the tree is good. And what you're doing is taking good fruit and assigning it to what you say is a bad tree. You're not honest. If you have the courage to admit the nature of the fruit, you'll come to the right conclusion about me. And so to make themselves a good tree, again, would mean they're repentant. So identify what's plain to see. Can you do that? The second point he makes is understand why you won't admit what is plain to see. Recognize what is plain to see and then recognize in yourselves why you won't admit what is right before your eyes. Why does your conclusion not match the evidence? Well, he he says it in verse 34. He says, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. The reason why the fruit of your speech is contrary to the fruit of Christ's life and ministry is because you are evil. You're a brood of vipers. Your father is the serpent. Are you willing to see why you find Jesus so distasteful? It's because he condemns you. I mean, it's a condemnation that would lead to your rescue if you would receive it. It would actually lead to your deliverance, it would lead to your salvation. But you love darkness. Jesus is the light of the world. He has come into the world and the light is shining, but you hate the light and won't come to the light because your deeds are evil. And so your words about Jesus reveal the condition of your heart. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? Your words reveal who you are. And the reason why you misassign fruit, and the tree, the reason why you get it wrong is because there's something terribly wrong in your soul. He talks about the treasure house a repository a, a place where things are kept kept for for safety reasons good people have storehouses where you find good things and those good things are brought forth evil people have storehouses where you find evil things and those evil things are brought forth the storehouse being the heart the bringing forth being the speech and so when someone's storehouse is full of evil the only thi- the only resources they have The only thing they're capable of manifesting is what is evil. And that's what these men are doing. By the way, this makes the point, doesn't it? It is impossible for unregenerate people to come to good conclusions and express good conclusions about Jesus. I mean, you can't get Jesus right apart from the miracle of the new birth. There is there's a, a bias that exists in a person from birth by nature until the, the grace gift of regeneration is extended to a person. The Bible speaks of it as a blindness. By nature, Ephesians 2, by nature, by nature, by birth, children deserving of wrath, haters of God, so when you take someone who who, by their very nature, is deserving of the wrath of God and hates God and is blind and loves darkness, loves evil, and you set the light of the world in front of them, they're not going to come to the right conclusions about it, and they're not going to say the right things about it. Because their storehouse is full of evil. And their words simply reflect the condition of their heart. We should look at John 8 real quickly. Bit of an extended passage, so I want you to see it with your eyes. John chapter 8, and our Lord is in the midst of a conflict with the religious leaders of the Jews, and they're boasting in their ancestry, and they're talking about the fact that they're sons of Abraham, and listen to what our Lord says. Look at what our Lord says beginning in verse 37, John chapter 8, verse 37, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. Yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you've heard from your father. What is our Lord doing? He's pointing out, yeah, you have a physical connection to Abraham, but your spiritual father is someone else. They don't understand that. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, I mean, if you were really his offspring, both in the spiritual sense as well as the physical sense, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You were doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality which in all likelihood is an attempted, stinging accusation against Jesus Himself. We have one Father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your Father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but He sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. There's no room in your darkened understanding for the truth that I'm saying, that I'm speaking. There's no room in your evil heart for what the truth would require of you. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. And here's that tree and fruit truth once again, not stated in the same terms, but it's the same truth. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? What is he saying? If the fruit is good, why do you not draw the right conclusion? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Maybe there's someone hearing me tonight. You have not yet come to Christ. Maybe someone has witnessed to you for a long time. Maybe they have brought you tonight. You've agreed to come but you have not trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And the things they talk about and the things they share with you bother you so badly. I mean, you, you, you might love the person who talks to you. You might tolerate them, but they agitate you. Do you stop and ask why it is so agitating to you? Why the things they delight in are so distasteful to you? If you're honest with the evidence, you can look at the lives of people in some cases who know Christ, who profess to know Christ around you, and you see that their life is upstanding and wholesome and peaceful, but you have no desire for what they represent. Do you ever stop and ask why that is? That's what our Lord is saying to these men in our text. He's saying, can you see what is so plain to see? If you just take the fruit and make a judgment about the tree, you will come to a different conclusion than what you've just said about me. But do you recognize why you say what you say about me? It's because you belong to Satan. It's because you're a brood of vipers. It's because your hearts are evil. You can't say what's right. Because your treasure house is full of evil things. And out of the abundance of that treasure house is what comes out of your mouth. Realize, identify why you won't admit what is plain to see. Third thing he says to them, third message. Realize where your refusal will end. Realize where your stubborn, willful, sinful blindness is going to take you. Our Lord says but I tell you I tell you right? this is the authority of Jesus speaks of of who he is that he's able to that he dares to say it this way I say this to you also speaks of the solemn nature of the truth that he's delivering I tell you That every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Four things our Lord speaks of, verses 36 and 37. First of all, He speaks of a coming day in the day of judgment. And I believe what He has in mind is, is the final judgment. That eschatological day of judgment. The judgment of the lost. So that the judged in this case would be the unregenerate speakers of words. All the harsh things that sinners have said about God. All the harsh things that sinners have said about the Son of God. All the harsh things that people have said, sinners have said about the people of God about the gospel of God, about the word of God. There's coming a day when there will be an accounting for words. Even down to the level of the throwaway words. The careless words. Every careless word that people speak. So you have the day The day of judgment, you have the judged, the unregenerate speakers of words. And the reason why I say unregenerate, notice, either there's going to be justification or there's going to be condemnation. The evidence at that judgment will be the words they've spoken, as I said, down to the careless ones. And don't miss this, the trustworthiness of the evidence. Because our Lord is saying you can just take a person's words and demonstrate Whose family they belong to. By your words, you'll be justified. In the sense of declared to be the people of God. And by your words, you'll be condemned. Do you believe that about words? Do you believe that words hold that kind of importance? That they faithfully communicate that kind of message about a person's character? Do our words matter? Now let me finish by taking this saying about the tree and its fruit and applying it for a moment to us. We've talked about how it applied to the Lord Jesus. And maybe, I mean, if Calvin is right, maybe the the idea was maybe it applied to them. Either way, the fruit and the tree match. So let's apply that analogy to ourselves. Do you recognize that a believing assessment of Jesus of Nazareth is good fruit? Have you believed the gospel? Do you believe in the only Son of God? Have you trusted in Him? Do you understand that faith is good fruit? And where you have good fruit, you have a good tree. Now, the fruit, if it's genuine, if it's good fruit is more than just words. Our Lord warned about that back in the seventh chapter, didn't He? Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not preached in Your name, performed miracles? And I'm going to say to them, depart from Me, you that work iniquity, I never knew you. And don't ever ignore that little phrase, the workers of iniquity, you that work iniquity, because what He's saying is, while your words said one thing, your life said something else. So the true, genuine, good fruit confession of Jesus as Lord is more than just words. Words that express devotion. Words that express love. I love the way that Paul is able to say to the Corinthian church, if anyone doesn't love the Lord Jesus, let him be accursed. The difference between those who will be cursed one day and those who will enter in to everlasting blessing is that one group loved Christ and the other did not. Do you love the Son of God? Are you devoted to Him? Do you worship Him? Do you have a right understanding of His mediation? Do you rest in His finished work? Do you understand that even the ground of worship you stand on is the ground of grace? If not for the blood of Christ, our worship is unacceptable. So that you glory, you boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is your heart full of thanksgiving and therefore are your lips full of thanksgiving to God in the name of His Son? That's good fruit. That's evidence of salvation. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, Through Him, that is through Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Praise to God acknowledges who Jesus is, so that our praise goes to God through His Son. One mediator between God and men, the Lord Jesus Christ, and we have received Him as our Savior and our Lord. I want to encourage you with that thought. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, it speaks of what God has done in your life, which really is the second thing I want to say, that good fruit gives evidence of a transformed heart. But where does good fruit come from? It comes from a good tree, which means there's a good storehouse, which means the Lord must have and has transformed your heart. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say, Listen, no one can say, Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Wait a second. Matthew 7 says, many will stand before Jesus one day, having said, Lord, Lord. 1 Corinthians 12, 3 says that no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. And of course, what Paul means is, no one can say Jesus is Lord and mean it. No one can say Jesus is Lord And it be the truth for their own life, except by the work of the Spirit of God. As you and I were born into this world, we could have never confessed Jesus as Lord. So that if you love Him as Lord, are devoted to Him as Lord, worship Him as Lord. If your life is full of thanksgiving to God, centered on His Son, given through His Son, this is evidence that God has transformed your heart. Because no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. It's not explained by the natural birth. It's explained by the spiritual birth. By the new birth. Third observation. That transformed heart will be expressed in all of our speech. Not just simple faith in Christ. There's the fruit of confession. The confession of Jesus as Lord. There's the fruit of praise offered to God in His name, acknowledging the name of Christ. But when you go through the New Testament and you see the emphasis placed on our speech, the warnings related to our speech, the reminders of how we can sin in the realm of our speech, and Christ didn't die for us just to go on and sin, We're not those who say, let us continue in sin that grace may abound. No, the grace of God teaches us to deny all forms of unholiness and unrighteousness to pursue holiness. That includes our mouths. Can you see a difference in your speech since you say you've come to know Jesus? Does the Lord deal with your heart about what you say And I would remind us again that the Christian life is no more real for us than what it is at home. It's so easy to show up in a church meeting like this and to give praise. Be very careful how we deal with each other and how we talk to each other. We're so kind and thoughtful and considerate and nice. When you go home, are you the same? What about the fruit of your lips when it comes to your spouse? What about the fruit of your lips when it comes to your children? If your heart has been transformed. It is going to show up. It's going to reveal itself. That new treasure house is going to reveal itself in new words. Fourth observation. However, the presence of the flesh means that the tongue is something we're still learning to control. You have a new nature. You have a new heart. You have a new mind. You have the mind of Christ. You have new desires. You want to please the Lord in every respect, including what you say. But don't you know it all too well, there is indwelling sin. We battle our flesh in so many different ways. As James says, we stumble in many ways. And perhaps the area where we stumble the most is in the realm of our speech. Is there anything harder to control than your tongue. Ephesians 5.4 says, And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of faith. Colossians 4.6 says, Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned, as it were, with salt, so that you may know how you should respond to each person. That is really a a verse that examines us, doesn't it? It brings it down to individual conversations so that you may know how to respond to each person. And your speech is to be seasoned both with grace and with salt, truth, but delivered in a way that is helpful, careful speak. Colossians 3.8 says, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. And if you talk about each of those sins mentioned, your words can give expression to each of those sins. How do we know you're angry? Well, by what you say. How do we know you're seeking to take vengeance, wrath, wrath, By what you say. How do we know there's a malicious attitude standing behind your behavior right now? By what you say. How do we know that sometimes you're a murderer with your tongue? Because you slander people. You abuse them with your words. And the Spirit of God is saying to us in Colossians 3.8, These things have to be put away. You have a new life, you have a new Lord, you have a new nature, you have a new storehouse, you're capable of new speech. Put these things away. Ecclesiastes 10.12 says, Words from the mouth of a wise man are gracious, while the lips of a fool consume him. Do you ever stop to consider the effect your words have on you? It's not just the effect your words have on others. You do know your words have an effect on you. So, when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's good fruit. When you confess Him, that's good fruit. It gives evidence of a transformed heart. That transformed heart shows up not just in your confession, but in in the desire to please God in all your ways, which will include all of your speech. And yet, as you strive for that, you're going to recognize you've got a battle on your hands. Because there's indwelling sin and you battle with the flesh and that shows up at the point of what you say. So this is my fifth and final observation. Will you, will I take seriously the responsibility for the sanctification of our speech? Regeneration, monergistic. It's God's work all by Himself. Sanctification, synergistic. God is at work, you're at work. It's not enough to say, oh Lord, change my speech. You have to take action. There's a place for self-examination. There's a place for discipline. There's a place for stopping yourself. Will we take responsibility for the sanctification of our speech? Ephesians 4, 29 says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth." but only such is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. When we desire to do that, when we embrace discipline to do that, when we strive to do that, it's evidence of a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. The good man brings out of his good treasure what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasure what is evil. You brood of vipers, how can you, being evil, speak what is good? For the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. And so truthful is the evidence of our words that one day people can be justified and condemned just by what they said. Anyone who doesn't know Christ, you know out of all of your sin issues, one that perhaps is most glaring is what has come out of your mouth. Good news, God has forgiveness for what has come out of your mouth. Jesus died to pay for all that has come out of your mouth. Look to the Son of God tonight and you'll know the gracious forgiveness of all your sins, including all your sinful words. Because He died on a cross to pay for all those sinful words. And every redeemed person in this room, He died for all your sinful words. And if you know that He died for them, then you and I don't want to go on in them. So Lord, help us as we strive, be it work in us as we work, to honor you with our words and the people of God would say, amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess, my brothers and sisters and I, we confess that this is one of the greatest battles we face. We stumble in many ways at many points, but out of every member of our bodies, the most difficult one to harness is the tongue. We recognize that the reason why the Pharisees got the fruit wrong, and therefore the tree wrong, is because their hearts were wrong. They could not acknowledge what they were seeing because they hated it. And that's where we all were, but you had mercy upon us and made us your people. Or perhaps you're having mercy on someone even tonight. They recognize this is them and you're having mercy by pointing them to your son for the forgiveness of their sins. Thank you that Jesus died for sinful speech. Thank you that He died so that any kind of sin, in fact, any kind of blasphemy except the blasphemy of the Spirit is forgivable. We who've been forgiven of all of these sins, Lord, remind us of what mercy explains our acceptance with You and remind us of what price calls to us to put these sinful things away. Help us, Lord. Let the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.